right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery today. It's going to be a fun show as we are going to be joined by Michael Swain of Fog.net coming up at 4.05. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join the show coming up at 4.40 today. We will get to some Hunter Dickinson audio. We got our KU Basketball Heroes and Villains segment with Kansas-Oklahoma State game. And uh, we'll also get you the latest on Kevin McCuller, what Bill Self said today. We're going to play fun with numbers coming up and uh, KU Women's Basketball recap throughout the show. Uh, starting off the show today, though, we have some, uh, I guess, news, some show news or, or, I guess, personal news, I should say, an announcement that I, I wanted to make now so that we could, uh, I guess, get out in front of it now. Um, I have accepted a position at another company, and so I will be finishing out this week and next week, and then I will be poof off into the ether. Man. Um <laughs> It's been a wonderful time working here. I've made so many great memories here at uh, KLWN and with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, I'm so thankful to so many people, whether it's some of the people higher up in the building for giving me a shot, whether it was Nick Schwert who kind of started me on uh, doing some you know, stuff with the show, uh, with Brian Haney for starting the show and then working through and, and all the different people who helped contribute, including the guy sitting across me right now with Nick Springer and helping make this show what it is and, and making come into work every day, such an enjoyable thing and making coming into the show and having so many creative liberties and freedoms. And, um, I've gotten to, you know, talk about so many awesome things in my time, either being a co-host, producer, host, whatever it's been yeah. over my time here of RCST from KU making multiple final fours to win a national title to seeing the rising up of this football program and, and ended up making back-to-back bowl games and winning a bowl game. It's more than I ever could have dreamed in this position. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know, you might still hear from me in certain ways here or there, but um, it was right for right time, right situation, right job, everything like that for uh, me and my family to kind of move forward. And uh, I know that Nick is going to do a wonderful job in, in my absence and, and whatever happens with the show and the station moving forward, I'm sure you'll be in uh, good hands from there moving forward. And so uh, it is, it's obviously sad and, and it's something that, you know, I, I don't know that I ever envisioned when I would leave or, or if I would leave this position because I, I've loved what I've done and getting to connect with the listeners and some of the things I'm, I'm going to miss the most are, you know, doing things like RCST trivia and doing things where we've been able to interact with listeners and, and get to meet some really cool people and do a lot of fun things. And so uh, I know there's a lot going on in the KU sports world right now, and I don't want to make this show or anything like that mostly about me, but um, I did want to at least share the news so that Everybody wasn't kind of blindsided when uh, next Friday ends up being my last show. Sure, yeah. And as you know, I mean, a big reason of why I'm even sitting in this chair is because of the fact that that you were here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to be a part of this show 
to begin with is because I had already seen and heard what everything that, that, that you had done and with Schwerd and with previous people on the show. And it was something that excited me, something that I wanted to be a part of. You know, dude, I remember as a freshman, I was a freshman at KU sitting in a KJHK sports staff meeting. And here comes big shots, Nick Schwerd and Derek Johnson rolling into our staff meeting to talk about Rock Chalk Sports Talk and working at the KLWN. And I was like, dude, man, that's awesome. Like, what? You're telling me I'm going to get paid to just talk about KU? Dude, that's sweet. And, I mean, even ever since that moment, I always thought, like, man, dude, that's awesome. Like, that, if I could just somehow be a part of that, like, that would be – I would feel so, so blessed just to be a part of it. And uh, sure enough – Things kind of came full circle, and I had the opportunity to come here, and it, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life to join this show and to work with you. And yeah, I mean, you're gonna be missed for sure. You're gonna mm-hmm. miss for sure. So yeah, and I appreciate that. And uh, again, you you have really, I think, elevated this show in a lot of good ways, and and it's really been enjoyable working with you. So um, again, thank you to all the listeners for for everything you've done for us and, and tuning into the show and yep. making this a part of your day to day. It's not gonna go away. I mean, Nick's still gonna be here when I leave next Friday. He'll be back that following Monday to, you know, recap the Super Bowl. So that'll be a nice first show for you. You're going to walk off into the sunset on the eve of the Super Bowl? (laughs) Like, dude, come on, man. What are we doing? Exactly. And then you'll have March Madness after that. So you'll have plenty to talk about and everything like that. And I I know you'll do great. You've done great every time you've had to fill in for me and and be solo. Can I rename the show Nick Chalk Sports Talk permanently? That would not be a me question. Honestly, you'd probably have to go to the higher ups, and uh, I'm just gonna skip you the the weight and probably say that that probably won't happen. So, um, good luck to you if if you decide on on doing that. So, again, uh, thank you to everyone. I I just that that's the word that I keep coming back to. I, I yeah. am very thankful for, you know, a lot of people go to work and and they don't enjoy what they do, and a lot of people go to work and you know they they clock their their time in time out and they get their paycheck and they move on. Um, I have been in a position where I have been very fortunate to really enjoy what I do, really enjoy the people I work with, really enjoy, you know, uh, I guess the, the creative freedom that, that you get on a day to day. And some of the things that I've been, been able to see and do is, is pretty incredible. So again, thankful is, is kind of the word. Yeah. I don't want to keep, uh, just, I guess going over this though. So we'll just leave it at that. We're going to take a timeout. Let's shift gears. We'll get to some KU basketball talk, fun with numbers, Kevin McCuller news, all that sort of stuff coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. On with the show. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got two guests joining us in the 4 o'clock hour. Michael Swain of Fog.net and Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will stop by in studio at 440. We have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider tonight after the show, 6 to 7. And then High School Sports Weekly will air 7 to 8. It'll be happening live at Mama's Tamale Shop on 9th Street with the best authentic Mexican food in Lawrence from 6 to 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, we're going to be out a little bit early because we've got high school basketball, free state basketball, is going to have their girls' game at 5.30, boys' game around 7 o'clock after. Nick will be on the call with uh, Craig Hershiser. And then Saturday, Kansas-Houston at 1.30 pregame with the KU women's game pregame starting at 5.45 here on KLWN. Before we get into our fun with numbers, Bill Self just had his uh, press conference, and we'll get that audio at some point on uh, tomorrow's show. We'll have Hunter Dickinson later this show. Uh, but my, I think most pertinent, the most newsworthy right now is what's the status of Kevin McCuller. Here's what he said. Quote, it's too early. Like I said all along, it's a bone bruise, so I'm anticipating him being able to go. Okay, timeout. Timeout. That is a completely contradictory statement, is it not? 
the it's the too early, <laughs> but I'm still expecting him to go. <laughs> what? So it's too early to tell if he's gonna be able to play, but you think he's gonna be able to play? I guess. <laughs> what? Uh, that that does not inspire a lot of confidence in me personally about uh, Kevin McCuller's status going into the Houston game. Uh, I suspect, and kind of going back to the discussion we had about this yesterday, and even uh, before the uh, after the the Oklahoma State game, I suspect that this could be a situation where if KU was playing Oklahoma State again. Kevin McCuller probably wouldn't play. Mm-hmm. But because they're playing Houston, I think he's going to go out there and, and give it a go. So this was a, a quick Google search for me of, because of, you asked bone the other bruise. day, you're like, what is a bone bruise? What is WebMD? I told you, it's basically just, you know, it, give me I the, don't know, you just basically, it's not quite a break or a fracture, but it's like it hurts. It hits your bone, whatever. Give me the WebMD Well, this is uh, this is some other doctor said. Most bone bruises slowly heal over one to two months. Oh, a larger bone bruise may take longer to heal. You may oh, not gosh. be able to return to sports activities for weeks or months. If your symptoms don't go away, your healthcare provider may give you an MRI. Then it says this. Okay, how always can you treat your bone bruise, right? Okay. A bone bruise can be treated with rest. Oh. Ice, compression, elevation, precaution, and pain relief. Ah, nice. Um, So <laughs> so let's assume that this... So if the reason you I bring this up numbers. isn't to say that I'm saying he's not going to play Saturday. I actually expect Kevin McCuller I, to play on I Saturday, think he's right? Play too, yeah. And I still am under the guise. I know some other people don't believe this. That that's fine. It's it's I don't know. I I could see it the other way. But I've been under the guise that on Tuesday night when they played Oklahoma State, if they would have been playing say Houston or Baylor or something, I feel like Kevin would have gritted through it. Potentially. That's my opinion. But my big question isn't about is he going to play or not. It's is he going to be healthy while he plays? And is it ever going to get better the rest of this season? Or is he going to be playing the rest of the season at 80% or 70%? Well, okay. So we had this discussion a little bit. We can dive deeper in here. You look at Kevin's efficiency numbers, and we had kind of gotten on him because his past two games specifically, his efficiency numbers had gone way down. His shooting had gone way down. I am beginning to wonder if that is not a correlation of possibly when specifically the bone bruise happened. I because would agree with that. If you know, if you if you remember, it sound it's Bill Self kind of mentioned it. It sounded like maybe this happened even before the Iowa State game, and so then you go back to like the Cincinnati game. So this it's possible that this bruise could have happened maybe two weeks ago at this point or three weeks ago at this point, to which maybe that lends a little bit more credence to the idea of okay, with the rest against Oklahoma State, maybe that's enough to get him on track to where he can get to a situation where he might be able to get back to one hundred percent. Here is the issue. Let's say you play him against Houston. Well, guess what? You got to turn around 48 hours later and play Kansas State on Monday night, on Big Monday. Mm-hmm. So if he gives it everything he's got against Houston on Saturday, what are the odds he's going to be able to turn around and do it again against Kansas State if he's still not 100% at that point? Yeah, and, and then especially you, oh, with how physical Houston is, right? Yeah, and then, oh, then you go beyond that. We've talked about it. Then you get Baylor. Then you get, you know, so guess what? There ain't any more Oklahoma States on the schedule where you can say, oh, there's a game Kevin McCullough could rest. You know, there's a game mm-hmm. that KU could probably rest him. Guess what? There, there's That's not on the schedule anymore. Every game here from going forward for the next at least five to six games is a game where you're like, well, gosh, it'd be nice if Kevin McCullough could grit through. But to your point, if he keeps gritting through and he doesn't have a chance to fully heal, then you're talking about suddenly it's second weekend in March and this dude is not 100%. Mm-hmm. And we've talked all along this season about, well, you know, maybe the Big 12 title could be tough for Kansas, but we feel like this is a team that could be better positioned to make a run in the NCAA tournament because of how great the starting five is. Well, guess what? Their starting five suddenly ain't so great if Kevin McCuller's not in that lineup. (laughs) 
So now you're jeopardizing a lot more things at that point if, if you if he's not able to be at fully 100%. Yeah. So those are the concerns that I have is, A, in the immediate short term, if he's going to play against Houston, does that jeopardize his status against Kansas State? And then, B, beyond that, if you keep playing him, is there ever going to be a point, like, like you mentioned, is there ever going to be a point the rest of the season where he's back to 100% or close to 100%? Right. And so there will hit a certain point. And maybe this point never does get hit because, you know, Kansas wins on Saturday and then they go on a run and whatever and you're competing for the Big 12 title. This isn't even a conversation. Yeah. But let's say you get down to the final, I don't know, two weeks of the regular season. So there's four games to go at that point. And let's say you're two games two back. games back of, say, Houston or something like that Yeah. for the Big 12 title. And Kevin McCuller's been playing 70 80%. At that point, do you consider just being like, hey, we're just going to give you a week off. We're going to give you two weeks off, give you to the Big 12 tournament, make sure you're 100% because at that point you're playing the long game. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. Given how Bill Self values winning so much and that Kevin McCuller is very competitive, I don't know that it would happen. Yeah. But it would be a conversation at the very least. Could be. So that's my big question because you're right. The, the lack of efficiency, I also do correlate with I think that's the thing. And the problem with that is saying – if that's how you correlate it, then what does that mean the rest of the season? Are you getting Kevin McCullough who's only shooting you know, 40% from the floor and 30% from three? Because then that's no longer Big 12 player of the year, Kevin McCullough, right? Yeah. So that's a very big concern going into Saturday's game and, and kind of the rest of the season for sure. All right, fun with numbers because that wasn't very fun. <laughs> how about this one? Johnny Furphy, who for most of the season was at, what, five points per game, something like that? Yeah. He's now up to 8.1 points per game. And it's been obviously a big rise with him entering into the starting line. Do you think he finishes in double-figure points per game? Well, if you look at his Big 12, I think he's he scored in double figures every Big 12 game that he started. Uh, I think Oklahoma he only had seven. But oh, I, really? every game since then, and that was the first game he started. Every game since then, okay, it's been yeah. more yeah. than that. Yeah, It's been double digits, yeah. So, uh, 15, 13, 23, 15, 11. Yeah. So, I think he definitely has a chance to do that because he's going to be in the starting lineup going forward, barring injury, right? And especially if you want to link this to the conversation we just had with Kevin McCuller, if Kevin McCuller is, is going to be missing some some games potentially, Furphy is the guy that might be needing to score more because mm-hmm. of that, right? So I think that's definitely a real possibility for him to reach that, which is pretty pretty wild to say because this is a guy that joined the team, you know, pretty late in the process in the offseason. And, you know, had to, there was some off the court stuff. You know, he ended up having he he returned to Australia and missed a game in which Bill Self is kind of Harkened back to that as being kind of a, a situation where maybe he could have gotten a starting lineup sooner if he doesn't have to, you know, if he didn't have to make that trip that was pre-planned. Uh, but now here he is, and I mean, he's he's hit he's well beyond any expectation. I think anybody really probably had for him to the, at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for what it's worth, if they play 15 more games, might be more than that, might be less, whatever. If he averaged 12 and a half points over the next 15 games, he would be at double digits, and. I think the the like DraftKings over under prop on him last game was like 11 and a half, half. 12 and a half, right? 11 and so it's half, right yeah. there. It's right there for sure. Yeah. And one of the ways that he's done it I think is very interesting. In league games he is 17 of 20 at the rim this year. Now it's not Pretty like good. he is taking drive straight to the rim and trying to finish over someone contested. He's more so just only taking shots at the rim if he cuts and he's wide open or if it's a dunk yeah. in transition. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say, transition is a big part of his game, too. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, that shows the finishing ability a little bit. He's 10 of 20 above the break on threes and 6 of 15 on corner threes. Yeah, I find that interesting because just eyeballing watching the games, you get the sense that he prefers to shoot from the corner. 
Right. That seems to be where well, he those generally... are big twelve only numbers. Okay, so if you add in the you get forty percent on corner three. If you add in the regular season, all, everything, the non con, he's at forty four percent on corner threes. Gotcha. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh because yeah, that makes more sense because it, it did seem like he would he tends to gravitate to that corner. That seems to be where he likes to shoot from. And that'll be important against Houston because they do give up a decent amount of corner threes, and that's been one area where teams are shooting forty percent against them this season on corner threes. But yeah, he's really elevated the offense, uh, both with his own individual play, yeah. in terms of the spacing, helping out the other four guys. Um I continue to believe that Furphy is on the positive trajectory that, you know, should he come back next year, which I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, he's going to be drafted after this year. I think we need to chill. Is he going to pop up on draft boards? Probably Maybe. after this year, but I don't, whatever. We, we did this with Ochai, and, and, you know, he ended up being in KU for four years. Anyway, <laughs> I could see Johnny Furphy being like KU's leading point scorer next year. I, yeah. I mean, Hunter Dickinson might come back, and then that changes things a little bit. Though, I guess Kevin's right there with Hunter this year in, in terms of the points per game anyway, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a good point about Furphy in the sense of you talked about him averaging double digits by the end of the season. That's a great way of, of demonstrating his individual ability and what he's done for KU. But arguably, I think the bigger impact he's had has been on the offense as a whole. And that reflects mm-hmm. the numbers as well, right? In terms of what you look to with spacing and whatnot. It just the offense in totality, not just because of Furphy's individual ability, but also because of what he's done in terms of integrating into the offense. Everybody, I think, has kind of gotten a little bit better off of it. Uh, speaking of Furphy, there are now nine lineups that KU has used for at least 28 possessions. It's more than you think. It is more than considering you think. they only play seven, eight guys. Yeah, but I mean, it can just be a few possessions this game. Few, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, so that's fair. Nine lineups they played at least 28 possessions. Three of the top four by net rating feature Johnny Furphy. Yeah. The number one lineup for KU this year by net rating so far has been Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, and Johnny Furphy. It's got a plus 30 net rating. Your second best lineup, Dewan Harris. KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Nick Timberlake, and Johnny mm. Furphy. Mm. Plus 29.4. Show some love for Timberlake. Come on. So I guess when you're playing Timberlake, you need to play Furphy at the same time. That's what that kind of tells me. It's yeah. Just the, I, I think it's the idea of having I mean, multiple I, shooters. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it maybe opens up both of them a little bit more, I guess, sure. to shoot the ball. Not that Timberlake has shot it that well, but I think the defense respects him as a shooter. I was say, but how long is that going to last? That's wonderful. I question. mean, how much longer is that going to last to where teams are going to say, Hey, dude, this guy shot 42% at Towson, but in the Big 12, he's shooting mm-hmm. 28%. We can we can sag off him a little bit. Good question. And then their uh, fourth best lineup is Dewan, Timberlake, Kevin, Furphy, and Hunter, and that's plus 18.9. So three of the top four feature Furphy. Now, you could also say, oh, well, three of the top four feature Dewan and feature Hunter Dickinson and feature KJ yeah, Adams, because too, Because those right? dudes are playing 8,000 yeah, exactly. minutes. Exactly. Um. But, yeah, I, I think that just shows the impact that the Furphy is having. Not that that's something people were really questioning about. I, I do think that yeah, outside of that one guy over last weekend, uh, what was that guy's name? Like Jamie Shaw? Who? Do you not know what I'm talking about? No. I just Did remember I this from this past weekend. Probably. Which, I mean, if you weren't on social media last Saturday after the KU loss, like, well, hey, good I mean, for you. Honestly, sometimes I just... if it's, No, that's the way to do it. Just I log just, off, I right? Just, or, or I'll just see something and I'll just be like, I this... This seems incredibly stupid. I'm just not going to. <laughs> yeah, he, he works for On3, which. I, oh. <laughs> when you say. I, I love that when I say he works for On3, that immediately in your mind is like, oh. Oh. You know? Well, listen, you know, there are certain things, certain uh, publications or, or things like that that I think are can be a bit more clickbaity. 
Mm-hmm. And I think on three might be a little more clickbaity. That's just my opinion, though. No, I would agree with that. Um, and like the NIL evaluation thing is just kind of hocus pocus. Anyway, over over the weekend on Saturday, they lose the game to Iowa State, right? Yeah. And he posted something about um, since Johnny Furphy has been inserted into the starting lineup, Kansas is like whatever the record is, four and three or something. <laughs> okay. Right. And in games that Marco Jackson started, they're like thirteen and one or whatever. Okay. And it was, it was clearly uh, this guy works in recruiting, trying to be like, oh, El Marco Jackson was a uh, McDonald's All-American. Like, we we evaluated him properly. Uh, it's like, do you not realize the correlation versus causation there? Do you not realize yeah. that part of the reason El Marco Jackson had that record when he was a starter was because they were playing against Manhattan, well, yeah, NC say, Central, Let me ask you this. Yale. You know? If El Marco starts against Iowa State and West Virginia. They're still losing. In fact, maybe they lose by more. Exactly. My point exactly. (laughs) So it was like, it was was such a dumb thing. It was like blaming something. It's like if, it's like when the Chiefs had the regular season where they they lost six games this year, and you're like, well, Patrick Mahomes lost six games. He stinks now. It's like, (laughs) no, it's not his fault. It's like, why why are we looking? You're looking at the wrong thing. Anyway. Yeah. I wanted to get that. No, speaking of Patrick Mahomes on that, Jason McIntyre McIntyre on Fox, he had a similar, he had a similar take where he was like, this Mahomes worst season of his career. He sucks. It's like, dude. His worst season of his career is still top five in the in the league. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? But yeah, going back to that idea, Nick Timberlake, Marco Jackson. This is their combined stats right now: eight point five points per game, two point nine rebounds, two point six assists on thirty six percent field goal and twenty eight point six percent three point. And honestly, putting those together, those those are not good. To be clear, the efficiency is very low, but that's actually better than I thought it would be. <laughs> and Honestly, like if you went into a game to game right now, and I told you, like for instance, on Saturday against Houston, I told you I can guarantee you that line that Nick Timberlake and Omarco Jackson are going to combine for eight or nine points with two or three assists, three rebounds, and maybe hit a three here or there. You would probably take that because we've seen so many games where they've scored as a bench combined two points. Yeah. The only thing that's been consistent about those guys is their inconsistency. Right. (laughs) And that's been the problem. It's that. Okay, you have a game where maybe one of them scores twelve and the other scores eight, and then the next game, next three games, they score two. And in yeah. Big Twelve play, the combo of them is only scoring six point two points per game. Yeah, I mean, you want to see a higher three point percentage, particularly from Timberlake. Mm-hmm. But to your point, and we've talked about this, when it comes to those boys, they're not being asked to come off the bench and be sco- be significant scoring threats and go out there and 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 you know try to be the the hero guys, right? There just has to go out there and 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 maintain maintain the level of play that is from the starters and and kind of just hold the line essentially, right? And if they do that, and you get rest for the starters, that's really what matters the most. You know, these these are not guys that are asked to come out and and be lights out and be explosive. So to that end, yeah, I kind of agree with what kind of what you're saying there, which is you're really all you're looking for is maybe nine or ten points out of those two guys, and not screwing anything up. Don't turn the ball over. Don't commit dumb fouls. Which unfortunately for El Marco, that's been a problem. But, you know, nine or ten points on hopefully a little better efficiency than the numbers you gave. But, you know, hit one or two threes. Like, that's probably good enough. That's probably what you want. If you guaranteed the rest of the season one made three every game, no more, no less, from the combo of Timberlake and El Marco, do you take it or roll the dice? (laughs) I would would maybe roll the dice, honestly. Okay. Because Timberlake, again, I mean... I know it's it's tough to have to, it's tough to still believe, but listen, if there's one thing that I'm really good at, it's having blind faith. 
And I have blind faith that Timberlake is going to eventually do something a little bit, maybe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I would, I would maybe roll the dice to be honest. I mean, one, just one three. I know, but that's a lot more than they're having in a lot of other games. Gosh, I mean, right? Well, they they had three in the Oklahoma State game. Yeah, combined. but that was a game where it was the worst team in the Big Twelve. What are you doing <laughs> when you're playing the best teams, right? Well, okay, well, okay. Let's 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 draw this out. Are they going to have? More than one three, those two guys combining against Houston. Do you think? If you had a bet, which uh, what would you do? Well, the, okay, going back to what I, I mentioned about Houston, they give up a decent amount of corner threes. I think they're in the twenty fifth percentile in limiting those shots. So it's not like a, a super high number, but it's definitely more than like the national average in terms of the amount of shots a team gets, like percentage wise, from three against you. Um, and Nick Timberlake actually has shot like 34% on corner threes. He struggled more on the other ones. Okay. So maybe... So you're, you're saying you roll the dice for Houston. No, but I don't think it's more than one. I think it'd be like one. And I don't think Almarco would... I, I wouldn't count on that to happen. Like, okay, so Almarco hit the two against Oklahoma State. Do you know the, the last game he hit a three before the Oklahoma State game? Oh, gosh. It's probably like... Well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it was before conference play. It was. Okay, that's what I thought. Did he win against Wichita State? Hit two against Wichita State. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about one, two, three, four. I guess they I guess played Wichita eight. Wichita State was the last game yeah. before. So seven games without a three. For Timberlake, he, he went one of five against Oklahoma State. Yeah. Then two games of one. Then two of five. Then three games without a three. So, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I would actually take that. You would take the one? To be completely honest, yeah. Just you're give me a guarantee. Guaranteed one? Right. And maybe making that three gives you more confidence to do other things. Anyway, um, here's another stat. Fun with numbers. Hunter Dickinson plus Kevin McCuller from three in Big 12 play. This actually isn't that fun of one. They're shooting over seven three-point attempts per game combined. They're only shooting 28% from three in Big 12 play. Yeah, and honestly, I expected regression from both those guys, honestly. I didn't expect it to be this this aggressive. Severe, yeah. Uh, because you think about Hunter Dickinson, I mean, listen, Bill Self said it best when he was like, well, you know, he's not going to keep doing that. Because he was at like 60% at one point, you know, mm -hmm. in non-conference play. So... I expected some regression there, but I mean, as we talked about it, he was close to he, what he was forty percent at, at Michigan, right? Uh, around there, yeah, it was so, like forty-two. I yeah, I think he was yeah. higher than forty. Yeah. So again, expected a little bit of regression, but maybe not to this extreme. And then with Kevin, same deal, right? I mean, we talked in the preseason about, oh gosh, wouldn't it be great if Kevin McCuller could shoot thirty-three percent from three? You know, because he's been a career 29, 30%. percent. Right. Well, then he comes out shooting forty percent, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is this is great. Well, like I said, did kind of expect it, those numbers to drop a little bit, um, and then you couple that in with the fact of the injury that he seems that he's I, that I have come to believe he's maybe been dealing with for a little bit longer than maybe we think, uh, with the bone bruise uh, or whatever, it, yeah, whatever you want to call it, bone bruise. So I did expect both those guys to have a little bit of a regression to the mean, but to this level, no, I wasn't expecting that. And this goes back to the idea of Kevin McCuller. If he's unable to get back healthy again, is is he just going to regress all the way back down to what we've seen him be in previous years? With Hunter Dickinson, I I assume Hunter Dickinson's going to going to level off. You know what I mean? He'll he'll get back. I'm assuming he's going to get back to around forty percent, uh, generally. But Kevin's the one that's that's very concerning because now you've cut. I expected him to maybe regress a little bit because he came out in the first you know. 10, 12, 15 games of the season and was playing the best basketball of his, of his life, mm -hmm. right? I didn't expect that to continue the whole season. But then you couple that in of already just so, maybe sort of a natural regression. Then you throw in the injury, 
and your fingers start to slip a little closer to that panic button yeah. a little bit. You start to be a little more worried. But- I will say with Hunter, I feel like now that it's regressed too much, I feel like there's going to be a progression yeah, coming, though. Yeah, no, I agree. could be good. Yeah, no, I think he's going to bounce back for right? sure. Uh, but with with Kevin, it's that's the one that's real concerning. Because even even though he's even, I mean, think about it, four of fourteen in his last two games against Iowa State and uh, Cincinnati before the uh, before the Oklahoma State game, four mm-hmm. of fourteen, right, twenty nine percent. That dropped his overall percentage down to like thirty six percent. Thirty six percent is still really really good. Yeah. But again, the issue is, is it going to keep going down because of what he's dealing with injury wise? Is that going to negatively affect him or? Right, you don't get as much lift maybe on your jump shot or, or yeah. whatever it is that that would kind of cause that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming a, a bone bruise probably hurts to jump off of. Right. I would think. I don't okay, know. how about this? This is a fun efficiency one for K.J. Adams. In Big 12 games right now, K.J. Adams is shooting 31 of 37. That's 84% at the rim. He's shooting 8 of 16, 50% in the paint, not at the rim. And he's 5 of 12, 42% on mid-range. So, like, okay, he's been efficient at, like, every level. Let him cook with a jumper. Three. Let him cook with a jumper. Let him cook. No. Free reign? Well, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. I mean, you know. Listen, he, says, selectively, he's a, it's been he good. says he likes to cook and that he's a good chef. He can cook all he wants in the kitchen. <laughs> but from the from 18 feet, maybe chill a little bit, you know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Last number I got here. Um, I think this is kind of an interesting one because um, I think the, the uh, what stereotype, I guess, might be a good word to talk about it, is with Hunter Dickinson that he's not a good defender. I do think that gets overblown a bit. I, I'm not saying he's like this all-worldly yeah. defender. Well, I think the problem you run into is when you're 7-2, people sure. just assume you must be a great shot blocker, great defender, blah, blah, blah. You know what right. I mean? And that's like what it is. Like, he's not getting three blocks per game. And then the other yeah. part of it is there are real tangible struggles when he's defending in space, right? I mean, but dude, that's, that's a big dude. you got to move around. It is. You know. It is. He, he's not great when he has to stay in front of someone. But guess what? That's a bigger issue in the NBA. That's why he's still in college basketball. In college, it's few and far between teams can take advantage of that. It's like Marquette had Oso Iguodaro, uh, the the Yale center who was able to take advantage of a little bit. Yeah. Every so often, they'll play guard-heavy teams like a Kentucky who can maybe pace and space them a little bit. But for the most part, he's actually done well on the defensive end. He has KU's best D rating, so the points allowed per 100 possessions when he's on the floor is the best on the team. He also has the best on-off defensive rating, and on Evan Miyakawa's website with defensive BPR, first is Kevin McCuller on Kansas, second is Hunter Dickinson, and Hunter's also in the top seven of the entire Big 12. I don't think we've given enough enough credence to the fact that just being long, being 7-2, being a guy who can't be pushed around by other centers down low yeah. on the block has at least even though it hurts KU in certain ways that you have to play drop coverage and maybe can't switch everything and that, you know, there are certain teams that can take advantage of it. Overall, he actually has been okay on that end of the floor. Yeah, well, think about the guys that he's played that are also elite centers. You go back to Klingon. Mm-hmm. Klingon didn't really have – I mean, I think he still ended up scoring double digits against Hunter Dickinson, but Hunter had the better game, right? So even though the defensive end gets Klingon, he was able to, uh, you know, shut him down. And uh, I'm sure that his Klingon's dad with his binoculars could see everything perfectly. Uh, from the last row of Field House. Yeah. All right, that's our uh, fun with numbers. <laughs> oh, good old Klingon. And Jameer <laughs> Nelson Sr. Don't forget about him either. Oh, yeah, I forgot, yeah. KU women's basketball scored a huge win last night to start off this five-game stretch when they're going to have an opportunity to, to get some wins back. Let's discuss coming up on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.
Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll get to some Hunter Dickinson audio later in the show in our KU Oklahoma State Heroes and Villains segment. Right now, joined by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net on the show. Michael, thanks for hopping on today. I, I was thinking back to the offseason for KU basketball. Now that we're, I guess, right in the thick of things, if you could uh, use hindsight 2020 goggles to grade the KU basketball offseason, which, you know, Hunter Dickinson, obviously that has very much worked out. Some of the other moves maybe haven't worked out as much. What grade would you give them for based on what they did or didn't do? Um, probably like a, a B minus. I think the vision is there for this team. And I think a lot of it hinges on Arterio Morris. Like, I think that's kind of the fact of the matter here. If, the things that went on with Arterio Morris, or he is not who he is as a person, this is a different story for this team. But that's also something that has to be factored into the transfer portal evaluation process as well. So I think you, you look at it, landing Hunter Dickinson's a 10 out of 10, A+. Plus, you, know, you do that every day of the week and don't think twice about it. I think a lot of teams in college basketball would have taken Nick Timberlake right? over the offseason, and it showed by you know the, the teams he went and visited. But I think it just hasn't clicked for him mentally at KU. And then obviously there's some of the, the freshmen kind of churning that happened. But look, Johnny Furphy's a part of that too, right? Going back and looking at, at that late addition that KU had. So I think overall, like uh, a B minus probably for the way it has played out. I think the ceiling of it could have certainly been a, a plus. But that's, again, relying on Nick Timberlake being able to figure it out mentally and Arterio Morris being an entirely different person. So, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting to look back, though, because I think people were really high on what KU did, and it, look, it's just hard to predict with the portal and even recruiting high school guys sometimes. It's hard to tell who's going to be able to click from day one and who might take some more time. Yeah, and I guess the Morris one, what, what, I guess what's the part of that is, like, it's not like there wasn't baggage when you brought him in. Yeah. Like, to me, that is part of the calculus, the, the risk that you made when you brought him in instead of bringing in somebody else. When you look at it, like, who do you think is maybe the one guy that maybe they wish that they would have landed that they were in on to some level or degree? Well, I think Dalton Neck at, I believe, Tennessee, right? Like, that was someone that went in the portal. And that's the thing that I think, you know, is so hard with the portal and basketball especially is things really move fast, right? He goes in the portal and basically within three days it's, it's narrowed down of who he's going to look at or look at. And KU um, wasn't really in the picture, right? KU did not decide to make him a super big priority. And I think he's the type of guy that if you were to add him in, in that Arterio Moore spot, you know, maybe things are a little bit different. You know, maybe the scoring load is maybe a little bit more evenly distributed. The three-point shooting might be a little bit better. So I think he's kind of the one guy that I think back and, and look at and say, man, like he, he would fit, I think, this KU team where I think another one maybe would be Harrison Ingram, but I still worry about him playing alongside Kevin McCullough and K.J. Adams because he is closer to a four than he is to a two. So I think for me, you know, Dalton is, is the one that I think about 
being a, a big opportunity that maybe KU could have gone after. We heard from Bill Self earlier today, and he said that uh, I guess it, it's still too early to kind of decipher, make a definitive statement with Kevin McCuller and his injury, but definitely sounded like he was optimistic that he'll be playing on Saturday against Houston. Uh, first yeah. part of this with, with that injury, we saw arguably his worst game, I, I don't know, against Iowa State, obviously from an efficiency level uh, until he hit those last couple threes, that was kind of the case. And going back the the two previous games he played in, kind of the efficiency dipped off. How much do you think that injury has had an effect in his play and, and in those two performances? And how much of a concern would that be moving forward the rest of the year if you know you don't know he's going to be a hundred percent and non one hundred percent Kevin McCuller has that lower efficiency? Totally, I think it has had a big impact because you you mentioned the efficiency there. Like it's the shooting numbers, right? I think his number from three has really plummeted over the last week or so. And so I think that it's the ability for him, right, to set his feet, elevate, and knock down jump shots that has been different because obviously it's a, it's a bone bruise on his knee, which is painful, and that's not going to be fun to jump up and down on a bunch where I think you look at some of his other numbers and they look more consistent because those don't maybe involve as much explosion as shooting a corner three or just making jump shots would be. I think... I'm fascinated to see what he looks like on Saturday because I think it's pretty clear that, hey, if Tuesday's game was for the Big 12 title, Kevin McCullough would have played. Or if it was in the NCAA tournament, right, Kevin McCullough would have played. It's kind of a little, uh, you can call it load management, if you will. I think it was a smart decision to take that game for Kevin and say, hey, you know, don't play. Let's try and get you some extra rest for a big game on Saturday. And I think if Kevin comes back and looks somewhere close to what he has been for most of this season uh, in terms of kind of those shooting numbers, then I think you would feel pretty good about him going in the second half of Big 12 play. And if he struggles, I think Kevin still gives you so much in terms of the rebounding, um, his playmaking to some degree, but I'm you know not super convinced there. But I think the other things that he offers this team are still really important, and it obviously has an impact in getting the free throw line either. So it's one of those situations where it would not be great for KU if Kevin McCullough is dealing with this knee, the bruised uh, knee for the rest of the year, but it's also one of those where I think you, KU would still be able to get a high enough level out of McCullough to where you'd still be getting a, you know an all-Big 12 caliber type of player. Do you think this possible scenario would ever happen? Let's say we get to, I don't know, two weeks to go in the Big 12 regular season and, and Kansas is at a point where, say, they are two games back of the Big 12 title race behind you know, Houston or something, where they're still not maybe mathematically eliminated, but maybe things aren't looking great, and the knee is continuing to bother him, and it is starting to have an impact, or, or it has been, on his level of play. Could you see a world where KU would say, you know what, let's punt on this, let's worry more about the NCAA tournament, and just give him a few weeks off? No, because the rhythm is so important, and I think... If that situation happened, I could definitely see KU saying, hey, no more 30-plus minute a game, right, or games for Kevin and going with a different route. But I still think even if in an ideal scenario you'd think, okay, well, hey, you know, you get him kind of three weeks off of rest, maybe he doesn't play all three games in Kansas City in the Big 12 tournament. But then all of a sudden you're asking, you know, in, in, in that situation too, right, KU's not a one seed and, you know, what to see if they'd be even a two seed. Then you're asking him to go and play in the NCAA tournament game and ask him to all of a sudden find that rhythm again. I think that's a really tough thing to do and a tough thing to ask of someone. So I think maybe if you were to try to go down that route, maybe it is you only play him, hey, 25 minutes or 20 minutes a game and 
if it's a blowout, you, you don't play him as much um, one way or the other. So I'm not sure if that's something that would be feasible just because I'd be really worried about the rhythm and trying to get back up to speed when you lose once and you're done. Talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kansas faces Houston on Saturday in Allen Fieldhouse. Is, if Kansas wants to win the Big 12, I know this term gets tossed out probably too loosely, but is this a must-win for Kansas if they do want to win the league? It, it is. It really is. Because the thing about, you know, you look at Houston, and they have been incredible at home. Like, you watch them play at home, and they just are so talented. They're so athletic. They play so hard. Like, they're just such a good team. But then on the road, it hasn't necessarily been as consistent. You know, you look at them at Iowa State. They were off the pace in that game for a good majority of it. They battled back to make it close, but Iowa State was the better team. And then they lose on the road at TCU. So KU has to win this game because there's no guarantee that KU is going to be able to go on the road to beat Houston later in the season. And you can't allow these opportunities because it's not guaranteed that KU is going to play You know, Texas Tech twice, for example. And so because there's no round robin, these games against the other elite teams in the Big 12 are so important, and especially at home. Because as we've seen, right, it's really hard to go win on the road. So I think it really is a must win for KU and Look, I'm fascinated to see what the betting spread is going to be for the game because I don't think it's very often that Kansas is a home underdog. And if you look at sites like Ken Palm or Torvik, like that's what they're projecting it to be. Now, what Vegas does is a different question, but I think this is a game that KU has to win if they really are going to be competing at the top of Big 12 for the next couple of weeks. So what is the biggest key or keys to the game for them to do that? What does it look like if Kansas does come out on top to you? Yeah, so much for me is, is just on the glass because – I think Bill Self has talked about this enough this season. You know, KU is not shooting a lot of threes right now, so they can't give away possessions because they don't have the ability to go on a stretch where they get hot from three and they can climb back from uh, a deficit. So uh, this Houston team is so good on the glass, and I think it's such a huge game for guys like K.J. Adams because you look at K.J., and I think it was maybe the first week of Big 12 play, the final week of non-conference play, he was averaging about 10 rebounds per game. Like, he was doing a fantastic job of being active on the defensive class and grabbing rebounds. Well, it's kind of gone away, and he's back to kind of where he's been for most of his career, which has kind of been that four to five rebound per game mark. And KU needs him to be at 10 on Saturday because Hunter Dickinson's going to have his hands full, and we know what he can do, but it's going to be on those extra guys getting in to the paint, getting the rebounds to end those possessions and not give Houston a second-chance opportunity where they are really good. So, so much generally for this team, right, relies on the glass and limiting extra possessions for other teams. But this is a game in particular when you consider how good Houston's defense is, KU's not going to get a lot of clean looks, and it's not going to be a high-scoring game in my opinion. So really ending those possessions on defense is going to be such a huge key for KU. The schedule is brutal now that we've turned to February. These final 10 games, it's just a litany of ranked teams. It's a litany of ranked teams on the road or or like this Saturday playing Houston at home. Uh, When you just look at these, I guess, I don't know if we want to segment this out into the next five games, the first half of the next 10, versus Houston at Kansas State, versus Baylor at Texas Tech at Oklahoma. What do you think would be a good record there, for, or I guess an acceptable record for them to stay in the conference title race? I, I think 4-1. I, I think the game might need a, 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 or, um, 
yeah, five and zero in there. But I look at the road game at Texas Tech; like that's going to be a huge challenge. I'm kind of in the I need to be convinced category for KU and road games. Just the performances have not been great, especially when you can take out the fact that KU beat an awful Oklahoma State team on the road. And then I look at the home games there, and you feel pretty good about KU being able to beat Baylor at home. And then on the road, right, it's Oklahoma, it's Kansas State. I think KU will beat K-State. I think KU will beat Oklahoma on the road. So it really does come down to that Texas Tech road game that is on a big Monday, right? That's a a challenge here as well. It's a big Monday game, so that's not going to be easy either. So I think this is a stretch where 4-1 and is okay. I think 5-1 and for KU would really, really put them in a fantastic spot because then you're handing Texas Tech Another loss, and they're really a team you got to watch because KU only plays them once this year. We're talking with Michael Swain. Uh, switching over to KU football here. The schedule comes out earlier this week, Big 12 portion of it, when they're playing, where they're playing, who they're playing, all that sort of stuff. How manageable do you think this schedule is for KU football on kind of a, a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, I think it's 9 out of 10 manageable. Um, I think KU is going to have probably one of the more favorable uh, schedules in terms of opponents and the way that plays out. You, you know, KU plays six games in a row, and I think there's a good opportunity for KU to at least start the season five and one. You know, they end the that kind of first stretch on it with the road game at Arizona State. Fascinating to see what they look like under Kenny Dillingham this fall. They hit the portal hard. Jaden Rashad at the quarterback is back, and they could be a, a tough team. But then KU gets the bye week. They come back. They play at or, or sorry at home against Houston. Then they go and play at Kansas State. Then there's another bye week. So you're looking at it being basically kind of a month stretch where KU doesn't leave the the greater Kansas City and or Kansas um, area. And that's huge because how many times have we heard the stat about, you know, hey, Texas hasn't left the state of Texas in, you know, X weeks. And they're able to kind of limit the, the traveling miles and the, the toll that takes on players. So I really do think this is a manageable schedule for KU. And that home stretch is going to be really – you know, dependent on how the season goes because Colorado could be checked out by the end of the season if things don't go well. Baylor may be looking for a new head coach if things don't go well for them next season. So I think for KU, this is a schedule where I think you're going to look at the over-under from Vegas being probably in that nine-and-a-half range because it is so manageable. And I think really, you know, KU is able to miss some of those top teams in the Big 12 outside of Kansas State. I know right now with the semester starting and, and getting into the swing of things, off season more of a quiet period now for, I guess, with the transfer portal and everything. But mm-hmm. once spring ball finishes up, or I guess the spring portal opens back up, how active yeah. do you envision them being and, and looking for what specifically? Well, I think he needs to be active, right? I think linebacker and defensive end are two positions that I have some major concerns about. And uh, the question is going to come down to it's going to be a numbers game because – at this point in time, you know, if you project to what the roster will look like um, in the fall, you know, K is basically bumping up against that 85 number, and so I don't have my exact spreadsheet here in front of me, but I believe the last time I checked, KU is either over by one or even. So any sort of portal addition they would potentially have in the springtime has to be offset by a departure. And KU has done a good job of keeping players around, so it's kind of a two-way street here where KU wants to keep as many players as possible, but you also need um, departures for new players to come in. So I think linebacker and defensive end are really the two positions Kansas has to fill in the summer, spring, whatever you want to call it, recruiting period. Because if not, I think there's some serious questions about where kind of those snaps are going to go and the level of 
um, players, whether it be experience or ceiling, and where those snaps are going to go. You got a couple either ors to uh, finish you off with. Mm-hmm. Better chance to win the Big Twelve: Kansas basketball this season or KU football in twenty twenty four. Well, I'll say Kansas basketball because the issue with the Big 12 and and football, obviously, is you got the one game to determine it all. And anything can happen in one game. And I think for a full body of work for a season, obviously for KU, there are more chances to be able to get that over the line. And it's also hard to bet against Bill Self when it comes to these sort of things. So I think I'd take KU basketball. And last one here, better chance to win a national championship this year's KU basketball team or next season's KU basketball team? Uh, next season's KU basketball team. I don't think this team, I haven't looked at the, the overall, I think right. What, the, there's a, a threshold right for the teams that have won the national title and where they're at in Ken Palm, and I, I think KU's on the outside right now. So I think next year you got to kick the can down the road for that one unless something miraculous happens and a bunch of guys can start hitting threes at an at a above rate that they've hit in their career. He is Michael Swain. You can check out his work, fog.net, 24-7 sports. Michael, appreciate the time, man. Definitely. Thanks, Derek. Always enjoy it. All right. That's Michael Swain joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout, get a little Super Bowl thoughts, then voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us at the end of the hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. got some Hunter Dickinson audio we'll get to coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. High School Sports Weekly tonight. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And we're joined now in studio by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Uh, so KU takes on Houston this Saturday. Pretty big one. Top 10 showdown. 1.30 pregame. 3 o'clock tip. You can hear that here through the Jayhawk Radio Network on KLWN. Uh, before we get into that game, though, I've kind of had this, this surfacing thought that we've talked a little bit about this week. I'm curious your thoughts on it. I almost feel like this team, and this isn't always the case, is better set up for the NCAA tournament than they are the Big 12 regular season. I don't know if it's a depth thing. I don't know if it's a, you know, gives you more time for guys like Furphy and Amarco to get even better as the year goes on. Maybe it's just that they already have three losses, and, and I feel like that makes it a little bit difficult, more difficult, kind of the path that, that you have to go the rest of the way, but... I, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, my point, because we've had some other years where KU has gotten a three or four seed and it hasn't gone well in the NCAA tournament in terms of making it out of the first weekend. I feel like this team could shake that mold a little bit more. Maybe. If that happens. But let's not talk about a three or a four seed. Cause, no, uh, for sure. I mean, they, that, that's the thing. I say all that. They can still win the Big 12 and totally. they can still get a oh, one or a two seed, right? We were just talking in the commercial break yeah. about how they fall into the three line on bracketology. Mm-hmm. But if they win Saturday, they'll have four wins over top 10 teams, which is wild. But I see your point. And I think Coach Self has been dropping hints in that direction over the last couple of weeks when he talks about, hey, the goal for this team is just to play our best ball in March. Now, they still break every huddle at every practice and every game day by putting their hands in the circle and saying Big 12 champs on three. One, two, three, Big 12 champs. They still do that. It's still the big goal. But Coach Self has hinted that does the Big 12 title really feel as important in this format where you don't get to play everybody in the true double round robin fashion, the schedule's so imbalanced, he hints at, you know, kind of the league crown is shaped by what the computers give you in the summertime when the schedule card is created. And so all of that to say, he's hinted at, okay, the league race is important, but it's not the most important thing. He's hinted at our biggest goal 
isn't winning the Big 12. It's playing our best ball in March. And that could be predicated by the notion that mm-hmm. this is a team that is still very much a work in progress, not just because we have young pieces and new pieces, but because the roster construct in April and May of last spring got very different when the roster changed in September, if you know what I'm saying. And so there's still a work in progress. Furphy instead of Morris. Uh, Furphy over El Marco, mm-hmm. who now shows flashes on Tuesday of regaining some of that assertiveness and confidence that we hadn't seen since the Wichita State game. Maybe that's Bill Self dropping hints that, hey, he knows this is a club that's probably still three or four weeks away from truly clicking, and that might be too late to win a Big 12 title this year. Might not. Still could do it. You win Saturday, you're back in first with Houston at least. And, uh, and, and yet he knows that it's a slow cook with this thing. It's taken a little bit longer for this cake to bake, but bear with us because, as you just hinted at, maybe this will be one of those teams that peaks at the right time, even if it doesn't have the February and early March that we've become so accustomed to enjoying around here. Yeah, and, and going back to the Big 12 stuff, that was a concern I had before the season started and, and will continue to have with with kind of the – I guess, evolution of the conference and and the amount of teams that you have coming in. Like, for instance, Texas Tech right now, I think they only play Kansas and Houston once, uh, and they don't have to play a return trip to to Lawrence. Like, Iowa State doesn't have to do a return trip to Kansas. So you could end up with a team who, you know, maybe goes 13-5, and whereas a team who goes 12-6 and has a tougher schedule. I almost wonder if, like, the Big 12 tournament now becomes more important and the regular season becomes less important. Is it still... And I completely agree yeah. with that. It does become more important. The regular season still means more because it's two and a half months versus five days. But to your point, yeah, you know, I was talking to Fran Fraschilla about this off the air the other day, and he's like, yeah, you know, Texas Tech, Coach McCaslin's doing a great job. He's going to be a tremendous fit there, but their start is partially a product of the schedule and their ability to stay in the top five teams in the league will partially be a product of the schedule. Same deal with Iowa State. It's the first time in forever that they're not coming to Lawrence. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, there used to be a Big 12 North foe, so we always played them twice. Big 8, Big 6 before that. It's crazy to not have them come down here, and that's one that we're going to lament not getting a chance to settle the score with, but they're loving it. Because they've already got a home win over Houston and Kansas, and they don't have to come to Lawrence. So it definitely is going to have a bigger effect on who wins the regular season league title and maybe have a little more juice and incentive for the Kansas City five-day event. But uh, I think for Kansas, like Bill Self continues to say, it's all about big picture and, and what kind of ball are we playing in the month of March. And that, to me, also sounds like a coach who's – heading down the home stretch of his legendary career. And hopefully he does this for another five to 10 years. Who knows? But to him, hey, he's already got 14 straight. He knows he's won 17 out of 20 Big 12 titles. And he's proud of that. Don't get me wrong. 85% in a league this good over the last two decades is phenomenal. But in whatever's left in this you know, final few chapters of Bill Self at Kansas, as he said publicly and privately, they're going for the throat. And that means the banners you hang on the north end of the end zone, not the ones hanging horizontally for Final Fours, or the ones where we load them high and tight with nine league championships per banner hanging horizontally up and down. He's thinking about those six banners on the north side, putting up a seventh or an eighth in whatever time he has left. And so that, to me, is why you don't have quite as much emphasis on the Big 12 race right now. Well, Houston is the number one defense in the country, and they're 
pretty much just amazing at everything. I was looking at a, at one metric site, Evan Miyakawa's website, and the difference between Houston, it's not just that they're the best defense, the difference between them to the second best team, which is Tennessee, is the same distance in the metric to 14th place. So it's not just that they're number one, it's that they're number one by a long ways. They're uh, they they force turnovers, they get steals, they get blocks, they stop twos, they chase out to the three-point line. Uh, when you look at this game for Kansas against Houston, what to you sticks out about how they deal with the Cougars' defense and and in what ways or what players, I guess, have to step up for KU, uh, specifically with, with Kevin McCuller coming back from an injury and, and everything they're going to have to deal with? Yeah, well, to everything you said, they're just so impressive no matter how you slice them or dice them. Average 52.9 points per game allowed to the – competition which is number one nationally in scoring defense in league play you know it's going to go up but it's only gone up to I think 58 a game is what they're giving up in big 12 conference play stifling defense they're aggressive they're physical they're tough they're explosive they're old and experienced they're confident they're cocky but in a good way and yet while they've gone up to Ames and lost and Ames is really tough of course, everybody's lost in Ames this year. They're 13-0 at home. Allen Fieldhouse is still on a, on a whole different sphere. And so let's hope that the energy in the building, the daunting atmosphere, the way Kansas elevates its play amidst the fog is worth everything and then some that we've known it to be in recent years. I would tell you that in looking at Houston on film, at three or four of the five positions, they're probably tougher, more athletic, and more physical and aggressive. And yet, when you add in the Allen Fieldhouse component and just the way we play turned up at home, the Bill Self factor, the importance of this game, the emphasis placed on it, the fact that if you lose it, you're two games back heading to the back nine with seven of your final ten coming against uh, top 25 teams. So at that point, it'd be six of your final nine against top 25 teams. It's not that you're out of it. But, man, are you in a rough spot. And so I think Kansas comes out of the gates with their hair on fire on Saturday. You asked who does they have to have step up. I mean, obviously, it's everybody. Right. Yeah, and, and when I say that they're probably more imposing and more physical and tough at, at three or four of the five positions, the one guy that I think matches up well is K.J. Adams. Everybody else, from a physicality standpoint, explosiveness, all that, they need to ratchet it up two or three notches. Still play composed and under control and not sped up, mm -hmm. but understand that, that if you thought UConn was big on December the 1st, this game is twice as big. Not just because it's a league game, but, but because of everything it means as we head down the stretch toward Selection Sunday and, and your roster or your uh, resume shaping up for selection and all that, this is such a huge game. So I was thrilled to see the confidence that some of our reserves got on Tuesday. I hope it pays dividends going forward. I don't know if it pays immediate dividends in this one because Kevin's going to be back. It would appear and Omarco is going to go back to the role he was in and while he played freer and with more confidence on Tuesday we were also up big and it, some of his biggest shots were early when we yep. weren't up big but the point is everybody felt more comfortable and confident because we were up 20 plus I think you'll get a little bit tighter around the collar in this matchup in this setting but hopefully for Omarco it's a reminder of what he's capable of because the best thing for this team right now now that we finally got our fifth guy locked in, and my oh my, how good has Johnny been mm -hmm. since he's been a starter? Averaging 14-7 and 49% from three as a starter over a three-week stretch. That's a pretty good sample size. 
we've been begging for that for eight weeks, right? We finally got it. So now, what's the best thing that could happen for this team? Not just that El Marco and Nick get more confidence, but that Bill Self starts to develop more confidence in them. And the big word there is trust. Because the best thing for those five starters is that the guys behind them at 6, 7, and 8 can be trusted enough to give them even two or three more minutes each per game. That'll make us fresher down the stretch in the key junctures of games. It'll make them play better earlier in games when they're not as stretched thin, sped up, worn down. Some of the live ball turnovers and mental mistakes that we've seen DeWan make at times or Kevin make last week are probably a product from being worn thin a little bit. So the best thing right now, now that we've got our five that we're going to ride or die with in the starting lineup, is to get six, seven, and eight, just a little bit more trust from the head ball coach because that means a little fresher legs for the first five, which I think makes us better start to finish, but especially in late game situations. And let's call it like it is. Of our last 10 games, they're all going to be late, decided games. I mean, the 29-point the blowout you saw on Tuesday, I hope you had fun. Mm-hmm. Wilder Evers, I hope you love that dunk. <laughs> Jank, I hope you love that fifth three you made because we're probably not going to see a lot of walk-on mop-up duty as you head through the gauntlet of February and early March with all these ranked opponents and so many epic games that we anticipate in front of us. Yeah, you could win seven of the ten, and they might not combine to win by by 29 or more points right? with, with all that. When you think about this game, though, uh, in terms of, I guess, storylines or matchups, I think there's a lot of fun ones. Dewan Harris versus Jabal Shed, or Jamal Shedd, who, uh, Harris last year's Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. I feel like Shed, some of the the talk seems to be that he is kind of the, the favorite right now to win that award. You have two good point guards. Um, but for me, the, the I guess, matchup of the game is is the coaches because I, I think this is the two best coaches in college basketball with Bill Self and, and Kelvin Sampson would probably be the guy that I put up next to it after that. And uh, obviously, Kelvin Sampson does have some experience playing in Allen Fieldhouse when he was at Oklahoma. I think he was 0-5, I want to say, uh, in his time there. He did beat Kansas, I think, four times. I think we have 4-9 overall. Uh, he beat that 0-2 team in the Big 12 championship game in which uh, the fact that he held that team to 55 points, that 0-2 team, shows how good of defensive acumen he has there. But to me, that that's maybe one of the biggest storylines out of all this, that you do have these two coaches who, who are great, and you do have uh, – possibly what could become the the new big matchup year in and year out in the Big 12. And I look at this Houston program, and, and I kind of think, like, there have been some other good teams. You think about te- some of the Texas teams with Rick Barnes and some of the Oklahoma teams with Lon Kruger and, and some of the Baylor teams lately over the past few years that I, I think outside of maybe the Baylor team that won the title, I guess the Texas Tech team that played for the title, you could make the argument that this Houston team is the best team outside of a Kansas team that has been in the Big 12. And, and so I, th- I think there's a lot of different storylines and matchups and everything. What to you is is maybe the, the most interesting storyline or, or, or matchup that you're intrigued by on Saturday? And what you just said is, is so impressive when you consider some of the NBA star power that has been yeah. on really good Big 12 teams in that same stretch. You don't see that on this Houston no. team. They're just a really, really good, cohesively put-together college team that heats you up, makes you look bad, and and plays really well connected. You don't see a Durant or a Beasley Mm -hmm. or a Buddy Heald or a Blake Griffin walking through that door, but you see a group that those five parts working together are about as good as you can expect to have. Going back to the Kelvin Sampson point, though, and I agree, he's on the short list of greatest coaches still coaching in the game today. He was here the night... Paul Pierce rattled off 15 unanswered points, and and that was at the early stages of the mm-hmm. stretch 
versus Oklahoma that dates all the way back to 1993 of KU winning every single year over OU. So he wants to erase the taste of, of some of those demons. And uh, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's really going to be a neat to see what this looks like. And then we get to see him again at the very last game of the regular season. But here's the, the note I'm going to leave you with just to keep an eye on over these next five weeks. It doesn't really pertain to Saturday, but hopefully when we see them again, that's for the Big 12 title on the line down in Houston in March because we've done enough to stay with them neck and neck. But also, hopefully, we've won eight games before that last game because Bill Self right now is eight shy of Fog Allen, mm-hmm. 590, for the winningest coach in the illustrious history of the greatest program in all of college basketball. And as we start to head down the stretch... And you think about the last 10 games, can we go 8-2 and two in those 10 games? Well, the 10th game in that stretch is at Houston. That would be one that, whether you're quoting Ken Palm or N. Springer or D. Johnson, they would tell you that's probably a loss, right? So can you go 8-1 and one in the next nine? If you do, how sweet would it be? How fitting would it be if self-caught fog on senior night with Kansas State and the Dylan Sunflower Showdown to set up that rematch with Houston. But we are eight wins away. He's right now at 582. It's way easier said than done. In reality, it's probably more likely to come on like a Wednesday afternoon in Kansas City at the Big 12 tournament. Not nearly as momentous as what we're trying to set up. But keep your eyes on that, and let's hope that a potential win on Saturday sets the stage for that second go-round with Houston to be for all the marbles in the Big 12 in early March. He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. Yeah, just as Bill Self has his game plan for Coach Sampson's team, you want to get your best financial game plan in order, and Nate Miller is just the guy to help you. It's Miller time at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Check him out today, and uh, he'll sit you down. Whether you've already got a current portfolio or you're just starting one up, he'll make you uh, sit down and take a look at things and make the most sound financial decisions for your most profitable and secure financial future. Guys, always a pleasure. Great to see you both. I enjoyed the Super Bowl talk earlier. Two very informed (laughs) NFL minds. I'll be listening all next week to get us set for Super Bowl 58. All right, there we go. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go before we go to break. A word or a uh, disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, we got some more KU basketball talk with our KU Oklahoma State Heroes and Villains segment. That's some Hunter Dickinson audio on KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. High School Sports Weekly, tonight at Mama's Tamale Shop on 9th Street. Best authentic Mexican food in Lawrence. It's going to be happening from 6 to 7 live if you stop by Mama's. It'll be aired on the radio here on KLWN at 7 o'clock after Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider. Uh, We'll get to some KU basketball audio coming up later in this hour with Hunter Dickinson, who met with the media ahead of the game tonight, or uh, I'm sorry, on Saturday against Houston, which you can hear that on KLWN and 105.9 KISS for the Jayhawks against the Cougars. Pre-game 130, tip-off at 3 o'clock for that one. All right, got to do our heroes and villains from the Kansas-Oklahoma State basketball game. Let's start with the offensive side of the basketball. Who are the heroes of the game for KU? Yeah, I think K.J. Adams has probably got to be maybe number one on the heroes list. Seven seven from the floor, 16 points. And it goes beyond just scoring, right? He also had six assists, mm-hmm. which is only one less assist than Dewan. <laughs> so he was also dishing the ball as well. Uh, so I think K.J. Adams has got to be number one on that list. He had a really phenomenal game. And obviously when it came out towards uh, the beginning of the game that Kevin McCoy was not going to be playing, that takes away one of your top two scoring options. 
KJ has been your third scoring option in a lot of cases, so it was nice to see him step up and, and really take take over that, that scoring role that Kevin had, and, and he did it very effectively and efficiently. Uh, so probably one of KJ's better games for the season, I would think, uh, in this one against Oklahoma State in terms of efficiency and scoring and, and, and uh, assisting as well. So uh, he's probably my number one hero of this game. Did a really great job uh, overall uh, offensively helping to, to fill in with, uh, with Kevin not playing. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's hard not to pick a guy who went seven of seven from the floor yeah. and had six assists, right? All those things uh, made KJ certainly have a, a real nice performance for KU uh, yeah. on the offensive side of the ball. Dewan Harris having the seven assists to just one turnover—that's nice to see. He went five of nine from the floor, two of three from three, set the tone in the early going, all that stuff. But yeah, those are the two guys to me that really stick out. Do what about just KU's three-point offense in general? Eight of eighteen. I mean, 45%. the funny thing is that's still like not super high volume. No, it's but not. But forty-five percent, right? Like, yeah. like if if KU is going to be a team that it's going to take between fifteen and twenty threes per game, and on a lower volume, if you're more efficient, great. Who cares? Sure. Right? You know that's pretty good numbers. Well, and in this game specific, so they were four of nine above the break and four of nine from the corner, so perfectly even at both. Uh, KU was dominant in the paint, so I guess you could say yeah. just at the rim the offense. Paint offense. They shot 14 of 18 at the rim, so within four and a half feet of the rim. Good for 78%. And then in the paint, so shots that are still in the paint, but um, I guess beyond, not quite. Uh, beyond the rim. Beyond four and a half feet at the rim, or whatever you want to call it. They were eight of 13, which is 62%. So total it up. Basically, every shot that was inside the free throw box, they were 22 of 31. That's going to win you a lot of games, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was nice to see Hunter Dickinson be more efficient also. Right. Uh, 8 of 14 in this game for him, 16 points. You know, he, you know, his efficiency was maybe the thing that he was the best at for a large majority of non-conference play and coming to conference play, but he's had a couple games where he hasn't been as efficient, so it was nice to see him maintain that level of efficiency in a game like this. Yeah, and the threes haven't been falling lately for Hunter Dickinson, but yeah, getting that efficiency kind of down low. Even, uh, I thought in the first half, like the first 10 minutes of the game, he missed two or three shots that a lot of times we see him make, yeah. and he still kind of bounced back from that head game. Uh, should we give any credence to uh, Marco Jackson being here? I mean, think about it. He gets yeah. the last-minute call as being a starter. Sure. Well, goes, I mean, last minute, it seems like. I, sure, I to us. that maybe they might have known sooner. But. Absolutely. But still, he gets moved back into the starting lineup, and yeah. he goes for 10 points. He goes 2 of 2 from 3, which we haven't always seen him be a consistent or good shooter from the outside. He has a couple other takes to the rim. Do, does he deserve some credit for this. Yeah, the two of two from three is really nice to see, right? Because to your point, he's he's been a guy that has been sub 27% from three, really, mm -hmm. uh, times a season. So for him to hit those, both those shots, and, and yeah, nice to see him go to the rim strong a couple times. And, and and again, you know, this is a guy that in conference play has been averaging less than three points per game, really, and has not really been doing much. I mean, this was his first game in conference play that he scored more than two points. So it's certainly a big deal, and it's nice to see him have that opportunity to step up and, di and did step up as well. Yeah. Okay, moving to the defensive side of the ball for defensive heroes. Who comes to mind? Yeah, this was uh, a game where, you know, Oklahoma State loses Bryce Thompson pretty early to an injury, and it just felt like they didn't really have the juice after that. <laughs> you know, uh, and Kansas, it's not like they forced a ton of turnovers, 10 turnovers by Oklahoma State. Uh, Kansas did have seven steals in the game, a couple by KJ Adams. Uh, Nick Timberlake was actually credited with a couple steals mm. as well. So uh, you want to put him on there? I remember him having one where he was like a very good read on an interception. Um, but he didn't really have a great game beyond that, though. No, no. I I mean, Dewan Harris, I think, deserves some some credit here. He 
was the main defender on Javon Small, who once Bryce Thompson, I mean, Javon Small's leading Oklahoma State in scoring. Yeah. And then once Bryce Thompson goes down, that's one less of their guards who can kind of score it from the outside. So Javon Small becomes, you know, very much a key component of the offense. And he was held to eight points. He was held to just three of 10 shooting, not very efficient. I, I think DeWan deserves some credit for that. Well, you want to go back to the game that KU played against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Javon Small was just had just two points in that game on one of ten shooting. Yeah, so, so welcome games, to Dewan Island. <laughs> so in the two games against Kansas, he has really, really, really struggled because he scored in double figures in every other uh, conference game except for Iowa State, in which he had also had eight. So, yeah, that's shout out to Dewan. Um, does Hunter Dickinson deserve anything? Ten defensive rebounds. I mean, those close out the possession. He also yeah. had a steal and a block. And get this, so I, I mentioned Kansas was so good and, and efficient on the interior of the offensive side of the ball. Oklahoma State was just 4 of 12 at the rim. So get this, Kansas took 18 shots at the rim. They missed 4. Oklahoma State only took 12 shots at the rim. They missed 8. And they only made, yeah, they only made 4. And then shots in the paint but not at the rim. Kansas shot 13. They missed 5. Oklahoma State shot 12. They missed 9. And you total it up, that means that Oklahoma State inside the free throw line basically in that box were 7 of 24, which is an incredibly low number when you're talking about shots at the rim and layups and in the paint and everything like that. So that'd be Hunter and KJ. Hunter, sure, KJ, right. Well, and KJ so. led Kansas in steals. He had two of them tied for the lead. Also yeah. tied for the lead in blocks with one of them. So maybe both those guys, Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, to deserve a little bit of credit here. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go to Juan Harris, though, because you, you kind of cut the head off the snake there with Guarding yeah. Von Although, with there were times that that he was guarding John Michael Wright, who hit a couple tough th- tough threes over him. So, who know, predicted maybe... that uh, John Michael Wright might do well? You did before the the game started up. Um, I get, I guess maybe maybe KJ or Hunter because um, Eric Daly Jr. Like Daly Jr. is their young freshman, former yeah. McDonald's All American, right? And he only had four points. He was two of seven from the floor. So now that I think about it, I actually want to go with uh, KJ Adams. Wow, you're just flip flopping. Flip flopping. Come on, I'll take Flop, one. I'll take. I'll take Dewan. Since okay. you you didn't want him anymore, you cast him <laughs> oh, away okay. like he's nothing. I'll take Dewan. What about other hero? Yeah, I mean, I think Wilder Evers. He's got to be mm. on there, right, for the uh, alley oop. Alley oop is a walk on. When's the yeah. last time a walk on had an alley oop for KU? That would be mm. a wonderful question. I don't even know. I mean, <laughs> who could it be? I mean, I'm trying to think. Like maybe like Matt Kleinman. What? what he was like a big man. Played enough minutes to where they would have a chance to even do something. Do you like think that. Connor Tehan threw down an alley oop at some point? He might. I mean, wouldn't he have been more likely to assist on one? Like yeah, probably the guy throwing the oop. Yeah, I I don't know. And obviously, I I think uh, he eventually earned a scholarship, so he wasn't always yeah. a walk on. Um, I'd probably go back to Matt Kleinman. I feel like that would be the one because he was a walk on like center, you know. So at some point, Did James Sasinski ever throw down a dunk? Maybe in practice, not certainly not in a game. I feel like we would have remembered that. That's a wonderful question. If anybody knows of that, please uh, hit us up at RCST thirteen twenty on social media. Last time a uh, walk on through down and dunk. I think that's a good one. What about Michael Jankovic though? You know, yeah. give give yeah. the other guy the the other yeah. walk on some love. He hit a three. No, for sure, absolutely. By the way, Jank was a plus five in the box score, plus minus, which was. Wow. Uh, I mean, that good for uh, you played like four minutes, eighth best. You extrapolate that out. If he's playing forty minutes in a game, he's plus fifty. That's pretty good. Pretty good. That is really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. very. His uh, his have you per forty stats are very flawed because of what I'm about to say. They they are a useful tool if you're comparing players who are like similar minutes. Like if you have one player's playing twenty eight minutes and another's playing thirty one, they can be a similar tool to help 
you know, compare that stuff. But um, the reason they're always funny is like Michael Jankovic is averaging like 30 points per 40 minutes this year, which like leads <laughs> KU. Anyway, he deserves some credit there. What about Bill Self? Because yeah, he had to deal with Kevin McCuller not playing. Sure. Finding a way to change up the starting lineup and the rotation and making all that work. And, you know, a lot of years we see, I've heard it actually described by like some national media members as the Bill Self special that he loses to his former alma mater once a year with uh, Oklahoma State. Didn't lose this year. Yeah. In fact, beat the doors off of him both times. Yeah, beat him by what? A combined 55 points? Something like that. Points. I think it was like 53. 53 points. Yeah, no, he probably does deserve a little bit of a shout-out because, to your point, I mean, without Kevin McCuller, this they became a little bit more of a, co- a tougher coaching game for him probably uh, to, try, to try to get his boys ready to go. But, uh, yeah, they were ready, took care of business against uh, a bad, bad, bad Oklahoma State team. I mean, these boys, they are not good. Okay, so, what about uh, what about Ken Palm? <laughs> because no, dude, Ken Palm stinks. <laughs> no, listen, I love this. Okay, so this is Kansas's rankings game to game. They have not. This is, uh, I think, the first time all year that they have gone. Actually, no, it, it didn't even happen that way. They've only gone up in two straight games once all season. So they went from second to third to third to fourth to fourth to ninth to fifth to seventh to tenth to eleventh eleventh thirteenth sixteenth then up to fifteenth then down to sixteenth then down to nineteenth. And then they beat Oklahoma, they moved to 18th. They beat Oklahoma State the first time, they moved all the way up to 13th. So beating Oklahoma State the first time <laughs> no, I know. was their biggest rise of That's the season. That's why Kent Palm stinks. Then they dropped back to 18th after they lost to West Virginia, moved to 17th after the Cincy win, stayed at 17th after the Iowa State loss, and then they moved up to 15th with the Oklahoma State win. So nobody has done more for Ken Palm and KU's ranking than the Oklahoma State games. <laughs> well, that's because they're bad, and Oklahoma State— and- uh, Ken Palm likes to think that if you beat a bad team, you're the best team ever. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no. Nick, but Nick Palm has always had Nick Palm has always had KU much higher anyway, so okay. it doesn't matter. Where are they in Nick Palm? We're talking Nick top Palm, 15, they're probably top, 10? top. They're top ten for sure. Okay, I don't know. You know, Nick Palm's Nick Palm's scientific calculations are very mm. very exact, and no. there's a significant amount of data that's poured over 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. To determine uh, what is believed to be the best ranking, so that's why Nick Palm's the best. Okay, uh, you know I don't make the rules. Villains. Uh, John Michael Wright's yeah. got to be a villain. JMW. Uh, yeah, because he ends up making four threes. Uh, four there were two that I I succinctly remember that were like great defense, like the players all up in his grill. Yeah, and and you know, knocks we had that conversation anyway. beforehand of which guys might be candidates to hit a couple ridiculous threes, where you're just like, okay, really. John Michael Wright's one of them. Now, to be fair, John Michael Wright is not really that bad of a three-point shooter overall. I think he was no. like 31%. He was 31-32 on yeah. the year, but for his career, he was better. I mean, they showed that graphic during the game. He had scored over 2,000 career points because yeah. he transferred in from a smaller level. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's probably number one on, high the, volume uh, too. on the villains list, certainly from the game. Uh, because, to your point, I mean, Javon Small didn't really do much. Eric Daly didn't well, really do much. Well, and you won by 29. It's it's hard to like, yeah, I mean, be like, oh, this just, guy was the ultimate villain. Yeah, when you're just pummeling somebody, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> How villainous can they be? That's why I almost feel like the biggest villain is just injuries, right? Kevin McCuller injured yeah. coming into the game. Hunter Dickinson at one point got hurt. They said he was like sloganed up. They said it was yeah. like his well, hip I or side. I thought there was a video where he, I think he fell running to the tunnel at halftime. I saw that too. Yeah. Maybe coordination. Yeah. So coordination. He, I don't really know a, what happened there. But yeah, so uh, he went down to someone. And then Bryce Thompson, which, you yeah. know. Which you never, you never want to see a, you no. know, an opposing player. Just located his like shoulder that. probably out for the rest of the year. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, uh, injury is not fun. Uh, the only other one that I want to toss out there, normally we say villains for the other team, but Nick Timberlake, bit of a villain. Ah, 
Well, just clanking open shots. Yeah, he's not a villain so much as he's like. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right, right term or right example. An anti-hero. <laughs> just basically like the 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 clumsy hero that always messes up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's a hero though. I'm Feels like too not, strong. I, I don't know. Okay, not a hero. What do you want to call him then? Just a regular I mean, guy. Just a regular guy. Is it tanking like the season? Mr. He's like Mister Incredible. When Mr. Incredible like had his pulled his back and he couldn't fight the giant robot thing. So he just needs some he just needs the robot to, you know, stretch him out and and uh, you know, crack his back so he can get back in shape. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He's fighting the giant robot uh-huh. and he throws his back out and then he like can't fight anymore. So that's that's Timberlake right now. Okay. Hopefully they have a stretchy machine then. <laughs> All right, let's get to some uh, Hunter Dickinson audio coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast